This is TK331, a Star Wars EU slash Legends podcast. I'm Crystal, a Star Wars enthusiast, but I've never read a thing I liked that I couldn't complain about a little bit. And I'm Thomas, a Star Wars completionist who has previously read the entirety of the EU. So, what are we talking about today? Today, we are discussing Starfighters of Adumar, written by Aaron Alston and published by Banter Spectra in August 1999. Starfighters of Adumar was the ninth book released in the X-Wing series. The tenth, Mercy Kill, would not be published until August 2012 by Del Rey and is one of the final books of the Expanded Universe. Wow, quite a gap. Yep. Thirteen years. Yeah. Wow. Starfighters of Audemar was the final Star Wars novel published by Banshee Spectra, though the final book they published was Tales from the New Republic, which was released in December 1999. When Audemar came out, Del Rey had actually already started publishing Star Wars novels, as they were the ones to publish the novelization of The Phantom Menace. Other books that came out shortly before Audemar include Solo Command, I Search Revenge, and Hard Merchandise. Sorry, when you say the last thing that Bantam Spectra published was Tales from the New Republic, you mean that that was a compilation and therefore not the last novel they published. This was the last novel they published. Got it. Aaron Alston is one of the more prolific Star Wars authors. This was his fourth Star Wars novel and the fourth that we have read for this podcast following his three Wraith books. He wrote a total of 13 novels and a couple of short stories as well. Really got to envy that productivity. <laughs> Rather than follow the adventures of Wraith Squadron, this book follows a much smaller cast of pilots as Wedge Antilles, Tycho Selchu, Wes Jansen, and Hobby Clivian make up Red Flight and are the primary characters. You like how I got through all those names without really stumbling too much? I could hear you were close a couple times. Yeah. I uh, the Hobby doesn't have a last name. I don't know why you put that in there. <laughs> well, Hobby's not even his name. It's his nickname. Yeah. When I was forced to learn his real name, my brain instantly <laughs> rejected the information. And actually, right now, I couldn't tell you what it is. I have no idea. Fair enough. Do you? Off the top of your head? <laughs> it is Hobby forever. <laughs> yeah. Just Hobby. After Hamley and Anderson, how much were you looking forward to reading an Alston book again? it was the light at the end of the tunnel and I was pretty sure that it was not an oncoming train. I just like, I'm I Alston's writing style is nothing to like, it's, it's not exceptional or anything, but it's reliable. Yeah. It, as it's good. Very humorous. Baseline. Good. Humorous. Yeah. Trust his storytelling a little, definitely better than Anderson. Probably better than Hambly. You know, you got to understand what's going on in his book, at least. Yeah, yeah. Baseline, would love to understand what I'm reading. Know that I can get that from Alston. <laughs> so, yeah, I was, I mean, you had been billing it to me as, like, a good, a good break in the shenanigans. And so I was looking forward to it. I was trying to reel that in and go into it neutral so that I didn't get overexcited. Fair but enough. that didn't really work out. And that's okay, because it was fine. How many times have you read this one since it came out in 99? I assume a lot. A decent amount, but of the X-Wing books, not including Mercy Kill, this is the one I've read the least. Mm. Just because, you know, the Rogue books came out in 96, the Wraith books after that. So I had read those multiple times before this one came out. Yeah. And this book, actually, in a lot of ways, it's a lot like Wraith Squadron to me. I was looking forward to it. And then the first time I read it, I was like, this is nothing like what I expected. And so Child Me didn't like it as much. Yeah. But upon reading it again several times in the future as a child, teenager, 
young adult adults, I'm going to appreciate it much more like I have with the Wraith books because it's not trying to be those books. And I accepted that for the Wraith books. And I was expecting more of that for this. So I was, I was kind of like, you know, Face and the rest of Wraith Squadron, and they are not here. If there's only one more X-Wing book, do we really ever even see them again? We will see some of them again. Okay. But they were decommissioned as a squadron. Right, yeah. It's a bummer. It is. So, I was very much looking forward to this. I I do think, again, Mercy Kill aside, of the nine X-Wing books that we have read, this is my least favorite of them. But I still really like it. And also, it's not my least favorite because it's a bad book. It's still a really good book. And I think this is actually Wedge's best book. He is, he's very prominent in the other books, but he is the main character in this book in a way that he has not been yet. And this is his best story. I mean, he's the only POV character. Yeah. And I, I love that for him. Yeah. I'm so glad he gets that in this book. It's, it is his best book. It, the story itself to me is just what is not as good as the other books because yeah. it's, a, it's such a different scale of what they're doing in this book. But I also like that it is so different than, you know, taking Coruscant, defeating a warlord, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think so. Standalone books always really appeal to me these days because I don't have to commit to such an investment. Mm -hmm. Right. But they do have their drawbacks, especially when the standalone book is comparatively short like this one is yeah this was especially compared to dark saber this is i think 150 pages shorter or something yeah like with wraith squadron having three books with rogue squadron having four you spend a lot of time with those characters you like get a lot more invested in them which is not to say i'm not invested in these characters because they were in those books but we don't see a continuous arc for them across multiple stories the way that we did for those characters in Rogue and Wraith Squadron. So I personally could have taken another 150 pages of this book. Absolutely. I would have been fine with that. <laughs> Though when I first sat down with it, part of the appeal definitely was how short it was because I was extremely tired after Darksaber especially, but also Children of the Jedi. Yeah. So the cover of this book is pretty straightforward, I would say. Yeah. It's just four X-Wings. Red Flight just flying out of a hangar, and I know exactly which hangar this is. Yeah, me too. So this shot is it's an action scene from the end of the book. They're flying out, there's explosions behind them. Very straightforward. <laughs> yeah. No faces, just just ships. There never are on the X Wing books. It's always ship combat. I think it's... she said confidently. <laughs> Not certain at all, really. <laughs> Most that well Alright, here's a question. Would, it's not technically, but would you consider I Jedi an X-Wing book? No. Okay. No. I Jedi is Corrin's navel gazing. <laughs> it's not an X-Wing book. Okay. He doesn't even fly an X-Wing in that book, except for like the first few pages. At the very end. Yeah, and that's not really flying an X-Wing, is it? It's just doing demolition duty. He also flew the uh, Z-95 for a bit. Yeah, but that's not an X-Wing. No. <laughs> it's not yeah. an X-Wing book. Right. It's It doesn't say it on the cover. <laughs> I actually wonder for the Legends re-releases they've been doing, if any of those have pilots on them, I'm not sure. Mm. I don't know. I'm not very concerned about the covers of those books. I'm just concerned that they pay the authors. So, Starfighters of Audemars opens on Coruscant with your favorite couple. Go on. <laughs> Wedge and Kui are eating together at a cafe. Long, long chilly silence from Crystal. 
And at this meal, Wedge knows that he needs to hurt Kui very badly. Does he know that, though? Yes. That's what he thinks. But she beats him to the punch. Before he can say anything, Kui says that their time together is done. Woohoo! And Wedge is surprised. He's kind of taken aback. Given this is, exact, this is exactly what he was planning to do at this meal. That's great. So he asks what he assumed that she would ask when he broke the news to her. He asks why. She says she doesn't think they have any future together. She says this relationship was about need for both of them. She needed a strong person after the Maw and then after what Kip did to her. And she says for him, she was like a simulator run. And Wedge is a little surprised and offended by that comment. And Fair enough. I think she brings up a super valid point. Oh, she does. He never had a true childhood because of what happened to his family. And then most human adolescents have relationships and learn a lot about love and take those lessons going forward. And few of those adolescent relationships last long term. But Wedge never had those experiences. And instead, that's what this relationship has been for him. I have said this exact thing about why Padme and Anakin end up together. Yeah. Because Padme did not have adolescent relationships because she was too busy being a big politician. And Anakin did because he was first a slave and then a Jedi. Yeah. So, like, well, I I never have an issue understanding why Anakin falls in love with Padme. Okay, fair. It's always the other way around to me because on the surface she seemed so smart. Yes, right? And, is. like, she shouldn't fall for this very bad seduction. But if she didn't have those very important adolescent romantic fumblings then she didn't learn the right lessons and wedge is the same way <laughs> yeah she also feels like she inherited wedge from the original queen and she's just not that person anymore and i also very much like that Olson brings this point up yeah wedge then says that he came here to break up with her so predictably she asks why he says he doesn't have her eloquence but whenever he looks to the future he doesn't see her there she thanks him for his honesty. It makes her feel better. She no longer questions if she's doing the right thing or not. They ask each other, what's next for both of them? And Wedge, never really having had time, says, you know what? I'm going to take time off and travel. Something he's never, ever done in his adult life. Other than, like, jumping to core or something to infiltrate it, right? He basically hasn't had a personal life for a long time. And now that Quee is being cut loose, he... He's going to try and find himself. ...doesn't have a personal life at all. Kui has some friends, and she's still getting his new hobbies, and she says, you know, I'm still two, and there's a lot for me to learn about myself. Great reason why this relationship should never have happened in the first place, but whatever. Or it should have happened post-Kip. Yeah. They're going to remain friends. It really says something about this whole relationship that my favorite conversation that they ever have by miles and miles and light years and light years is the one where they have to break up with each other. And the one not written by Anderson. Yeah. It's the most mature conversation where both of them feel like actual adults. I'm still okay with their day on Ithor before Kip no. shows up, but... Get out of here. <laughs> One of the complaints I had about their relationship in Darksaber especially was that it felt like Wedge was always being so condescending to yeah, her. Yeah, we only saw them a couple of times, especially when they were... On planet or on the on the moon, yeah. When she saw Lemolesk, yeah, he was so dismissive of it. And yeah, that felt very weird. Yeah, it did not. It felt super out of character. So I love that in this conversation, she's able to be a little bit condescending to him as well, being like, "Oh, you haven't had 
emotional experiences and that's why i was basically like a sim run and i also like he's like yeah you're right yeah it's a brutal way to put it like he doesn't want her to think that like he was treating her like because he wasn't but that's still what that was for him yeah like he wasn't like oh this is just practice for me no i don't think anybody well i'm sure some people go into a relationship thinking that but i'm sure teenagers do at times no teenagers go into relationships thinking like either a just this is a route to get laid or b this is forever baby (laughs) because teenagers are just kind of hormonal like that fair enough (laughs) soon after this conversation wedge is packed up and ready to go on vacation but he's then stopped before he can leave because general kraken walks in to see him and he says he has an assignment for wedge and tells him about a planet called Adumar, a world at the edge of wild space. During this whole conversation, Wedge is just like, my leave has already been approved. You can stand here and talk at me, but like, I'm not going to do a- anything about it. Kraken just keeps talking. Yep. It was colonized over 10,000 years ago. Trying to pique Wedge's interest, basically. But it was eventually forgotten by the Old Republic. Empire didn't even know about it. But recently, a deep space scout returning from the unknown regions, rediscovered the planets. And Wedge is like, no. My leave has been approved. I don't want to. No. But Kraken drops this juicy little detail. Adamar could help build proton torpedoes for the Republic, making sure that pilots are never short on them going forward. And Wedge is like, okay, great. Send Leia. Yeah, like send a diplomat. However, the people of Adamar have no respect for politicians. Love that about them. Can't blame them. But they do hold fighter pilots in very high regard. Not much better. (laughs) Their society and culture is built around pilots. They will only talk with a diplomat if they are also a pilot. Which continues to say no. Kraken says they'll assign an advisor named Tomer Darpen to help out with the local customs. He can take three other pilots with him and he'll be in command of the Star Destroyer Allegiance. Wedge has already figured out that he's not going to get out of this and he's going to have to do it because Kraken guilts him with some choice comments about, you know, your Republic needs you, et cetera, et cetera. But he's very clearly like, I'll go get out of my presence before I do something we both regret. (laughs) There's also a funny comment. He's like, you know, the apartment felt a little off when I was packing and stuff like someone had been here and moved oh, stuff yeah. just, just slightly. And Kraken's like, well, we may have been here looking for listening devices before you came in. We may have been here. <laughs> or we may not have. Oh, spies. <sighs> so Wedge will be in charge of Red Flight and all four pilots head to the Allegiance. The Star Destroyer is captained by a Captain Salabin. Wedge meets the rest of the command staff under Salabin, as well as a documentarian named Hallis Saper. She wears goggles and has a 3PO head on her right shoulder. It's named Whitecap and it's her holo recording unit. And she just looks kind of terrifying. And she does like children's holos. <laughs> We're just like, oh. Wedge says that it's going to need to be modified so that he can turn it off when needed. Hallis doesn't really like this, but she's like, okay, fine. He's convincing. Well, he's like, then you can't come. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, he's convincing. Carrot meat stick. Wedge then introduces the rest of Red Flight, Colonel Tycho Selchu, leader of Rogue Squadron, Major Wes Jensen, and Major Derek Clivian, usually known as Hobby. So there God, you go, his name is Derek. His name is Derek. There is currently no mission brief. Instead, the pilots and the crew will learn more once they actually get to Adumar. This is stupid. 
And Wedge is thinking, like, this is weird. I don't like this. Alarm bell's going off. Oh, this is just the first time, Wedge. Just the first time. They arrive in system and head down to the planet in their X-Wings, leaving the Allegiance and the rest of the crew behind. They take the long way down to the planet. As they fly, they are challenged to a fight. Wedge accepts, and Red Flight quickly destroys them. Wedge calls Adumar Central Control and learns that the duel wasn't planned. Yeah, people are just like, we want to fight you. Okay, crazy person. <laughs> well, and this group didn't even really say, like, we want to fight you. They just said, we're fighting you now. Yeah. Deal with it. As they land, there are people all around watching them. There are also screens set up showing some of their past exploits, like Yavin, Endor, and Bakura. They are greeted by Tomer Darpin. Wes apparently knows him or knows of him. He knows him. Tomer says the duel was not an assassination attempt, just some young idiots trying to make a name for themselves. It was nothing personal. Keep this in mind about dueling going forward. Yeah. It's clear that a speech is expected, and Wes asks Wedge if he has one prepared. Wedge does not, but in his time as a general, he has developed what he calls the Antilles four-step instant speech. First, remind them who everyone is in case they've forgotten. Second, remind them what you're here for. Third, say something personal so that they know you're paying attention. And finally, wrap it up before making a fool of yourself. And I think that's a... It's a good template. Yeah, it's a great template. I'm proud of Wedge. And he gives the speech and the crowd just eats it up and they love it. The crowd is cheering Cartan. And Wedge is not quite sure what that random word means. But he's like, yeah, sure. Great. Cartan. What the hell's going on? He looks at the crowd and notices that many are carrying weapons. He also notices that there is no security detail. He asks Tomer about the lack of security, and Tomer says the crowd is the security. That's Bas- reassuring. Basically, someone tried to get them, the crowd would just, you know... Dogpile them? Yeah. Wes says that people love Wedge so much, he could throw up all over himself, and by night, everybody would be doing it and calling it the Wedge Purge. So one thing that also has always excelled in is putting humor in Star Wars, and Wes Jansen has often been one of his favorite vehicles for this, thinking of all the Ewok shenanigans from the Wraith books. Mm-hmm. And this book is just chock full of these moments as well, and I just love all of them. This is such a great one <laughs> with the Wedge Purge. Wes then gives a little bit of background on their new friend Tomer. He was a pilot with him in a Y-Wing squadron way back in the day, but he wasn't very good and eventually just he left because he had some unfortunate landing incidents. Some unfortunate landing incidents. What a way to put it. <laughs> there was one where, like, he landed so hard. Uh, no, he landed and then his, like, the... Why we bounced for a bit. Yeah, the and then he was trying to pull the emergency, like, exit, basically. And it was powerful enough that the planet that they were on or the moon that they were on, the his chair es- achieved escape velocity, yeah. basically. So they had to go collect him. Wild. The pilots are also shown to their quarters and are told that their X-Wings can be landed on the large balcony outside. Because, again, this planet loves pilots. So a lot of their buildings have these giant balconies for ships to land on for their pilots. because their pilots You can't are... really call it a balcony at that scale. It should be called a deck. Or a landing pad, even? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not a balcony. (laughs) Tomer also says that all lifting devices have been removed from their quarters. I don't believe that. So they can speak freely. I don't believe that. Don't speak freely. It's also pointed out where everything is, including the bathroom, and Hobby beats West to the joke about taking a refresher course. (laughs) But um, (laughs) um-tis. 
I also very much appreciate it's not just Wes making the bad jokes in this book. They all make the bad jokes in this book. Except for Tycho. No, he does too. Eventually. He has a couple of... He's got at least one great pun we're going to talk about. (laughs) So... (sighs) None of them are fans of New Republic dress uniforms, so they're going to wear local when they go to the reception that night instead of dress uniforms. Yeah, apparently pilots weren't really consulted when they were designed, and no one likes them in the fleet. Yeah. Well, the the complaint is all about how their flight suits are nice and roomy, and they have pockets and all this stuff. And the dress uniforms really accentuate if you, like, have a bit of a gut, for example. And they are not very... I mean, they're dress uniforms. They're not for utility. They're for showiness. Yeah. So they don't have pockets. They hate that. They hate that they don't have pockets. Wes also carries an Audemari blast sword, a local weapon that looks a lot like a vibroblade, but the tip has a muzzle on it that can fire something like a blaster bolt on impact. I had such a hard time visualizing this weapon. You haven't played enough Final Fantasy. If that's what if that's what's in there, then I have played enough. So now that I'm reading your note on this, I feel like I have a better grasp on it. I was imagining a vibroblade where at the end, instead of coming to a point, it widens into almost like a horn-like aperture and shoots a blaster bolt out of it. That's basically what I wrote. No, I think what this is describing is it's a vibroblade and then mounted on top of the vibroblade at the very end is like a muzzle. Because the muzzle's where the tip is, like you were thinking. Is it? Yeah. No, I want to imagine this thing that I've come up okay. with just now because that's much more like like a bayonet. Play Final Fantasy no, Eight. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I sounded like a four year old. I'm not gonna play. I'm not gonna play it. <laughs> and the blast sword is the preferred way of selling personal disputes on Cartan. So where is the trigger for this weapon? So is it down it's at not, the It's not a trigger. Pommel? It's on impact. I think it's turned on. And then when it's impact is when it goes kablooey. Okay. Where is like the chamber for the uh, energy pack? I don't know. Does it go through? Is there like some kind of hollow tube through the vibroblade then? Honey, this is science fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Sometimes I hate it. Sometimes I really, really hate it. It's basically a blaster that you hit someone with to use. Uh-huh. And Wes saw it and instantly was like, I have to have one because Wes is a three-year-old. Yeah. Professional three-year-old. At the reception, they are not announced, which surprises Tomer. They also have to surrender blasters, but Wes is allowed to keep the blast sword. These are apparently acceptable in polite society. These people are a bunch of clowns. This is a ridiculous society, and yeah. Yeah. They're introduced to the Parator, Pekalik Ki Teldan, and he is the leader of Kartan. We'll never say his name again. He's the Parator going forward. I've been pronouncing it Parator. Parator. But I think Parator. Parator. That sounds like he's parroting someone. Parator. Parator. He then offers them a present, and a young woman steps forward. Don't like that? Yep. But then he explains. She is the most recent winner of the Cartan Ground Championships, and her name is Cheris Ki Hanadi. She'll be their native guy in the city. That's fine. Yeah. Like, it's just like, oh, the, the, oh, okay, she's just the guy. Okay, cool. 
The parader is acting strange, and Tomer is confused by them. He asks Cheris if she knows why. She does, but says she is not able to say right now. Wedge then turns Whitecap off, annoying Hellas. He then asks Tomer if he is the Parator of Audumar. Why was he introduced as the Parator of Cartan? So, Cartan is a country, and this guy is heir to the throne. The concept of a single world government is new here. They are used to introducing themselves by their country. Wedge asks if they should have brought a gift, and Tomer says no. Wedge then turns Whitecap back on. Wedge asks Cheris about the ships they fought, and she calls them Blade 32s. And, you know, he's a pilot, he wants to know about them. And then, while talking, Wedge bumps into someone accidentally, and an apology is made, and then the two men quickly recognize their accents as not Audemari, and they turn and face each other. And that's when Wedge sees General Turfanir of the Empire. Fenir is the most famous surviving pilot of the Empire. He inherited the 181st after Berenfeld defected to the New Republic, and he has three other pilots with him, kind of like Wedge. Wedge realizes both groups are here to compete for Adumar, so the two shake hands and part ways. And Fenir also clearly realizes what's going on, too, and neither are happy about it. Wedge asks Hollis to send that information to the Allegiance. Cheris says she couldn't say anything about the Empire being here until they met each other and figured it out. Because the Imperator is playing games. Playing games. Playing mind games. Playing politics games. Tycho says that Fenir is a good pilot, but he's no feller Vader. Wedge says that for now, they'll continue as before, but to keep their eyes open. And Hobbit replies, until now, I thought this was a really sweet deal. Just pilots being worshipped. Good times, but no, no, Empire 2-2 is like, oh. I'd think that he would be excited about this. Got a chance to kill some more Imperial scum. In the crowd. Dun dun dun. Wedge sees someone else he knows. So, we've got the Republic pilots, Empire pilots, and then Wedge sees someone else. A woman. Did you know? I knew instantly. <laughs> because what, what, why other, why, what other reason would you have for getting Quee out of the way as fast as possible at the beginning? And also, this is a perfect spot for this person so this is the right place for her to do her specific job it is he calls his pilots over and he says that he's going to have cherish put on a show that she's been talking about like while they've been talking she's like you know i can put on a show for you guys if you want to see what i do i can put on a show and she keeps saying this over and over and she's like all right she's gonna put the show on and then while they're distracted wes go over to that table and talk to a woman and wes is like oh thanks <laughs> boss <laughs> and we're just like no no idiot stop talking and he's like, Tycho, Hobby, make sure he's not noticed. And before Wes can really get the thinking wedge again, Wedge interrupts and says, that's Ayala with Siri. Don't blow her cover. Just chit-chat with her. <gasps> She's here. Wedge tells Wes, just be his obnoxious self and let her shoot you down. Wes says, I resent the implication that she would, that any woman would. I think most women would shoot you down, Wes. Just... Not because of any particular reason besides the fact that you're obnoxious. But there are some people who go for that. Like, he's not a bad person. No. He just likes to, you know... He likes to wind people up. <laughs> and then be naked holding a Ewok. <laughs> a stuffed Ewok over his bits. Strategically placed. <laughs> Wedge also tells Wes to make sure he tells her his commander would like to speak with her at some point. Oh. I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would. Calm down. 
Wedge can. then asks Cheris to put on her show. And she's like, yeah. So she accepts a challenge. Because as champion, she receives them all the time. This is not exactly what Wedge had in mind. He's like, he, I don't want people to die. He actually goes over to stop the fight, but Tomer stops him and says it would embarrass Cheris and show Wedge as weak because he didn't know what he was asking for, and now he's betraying that information. The challenger calls Cheris a ground pounder. They fight. She wins very quickly. Cheris leaves it up to Wedge whether the challenger should live or die. He lets him live. Wedge says, this boy needs to learn to handle pain so that when he does die, he does not embarrass his family. Which is what, such a great way to cover for not wanting someone to die for his mistake. Yeah, walking the line a little bit with this culture. Yeah. After, Wedge is not happy with Tomer at all. This will also be a recurring theme in this book. And says, you don't speak for me ever. Wedge is fed up in this book. Oh, constantly. He's over it. He wants to be on vacation right now, not dealing with crazy pilot groupies. Yeah, but if you were on vacation, you wouldn't have found Iella. <laughs> While Wedge is chewing up Tomer, Wes comes over and says he has news. But before he can give it, Tomer says that Wedge doesn't know enough about what's going on, and he has to speak for Wedge at times, or he could accidentally stop an interplanetary crisis. Wedge Which, says, fair enough. Yeah, fine. Wedge says they need to figure it out and work together, but he's not going to blindly follow Tomer's lead. He was sent here to be the diplomat, so he's going to diplomat. And he's not going to let people get killed because of his mistakes. Yeah. Tomer says it would be better for everyone if Wedge did listen to him, and then he asks about Wes's news. And this is the moment where I start getting annoyed with Tomer. Like, before, before this moment, I'm like, okay, yeah, you're, you're the guy on the ground, you know what's more of what's going on. But this is the moment where I was like, no, no, Wedge, be my pawn. I'm like, shut up. I wasn't annoyed with him at this point. I was. I think I was too distracted by the other thing. <laughs> That's fair. Also, having read this, I know to be annoyed with him. So yeah, yeah. I was like, I I get his perspective. I do too. He's like, Wedge is not at all familiar with the culture of society. He didn't get a debriefing. Like, he should be accepting my guidance. Which is why I'm okay with everything he says until this moment. Mm. Wedge tells Summer it's pilot stuff. The results of red flight betting, and tells Summer just go away so the pilots can talk amongst each other. Not the most elegant. Wes confirms that, yes, Wedge has seen Ayala. And she wants to see Wedge and gave him a time and place. But Wedge cannot be followed. She is here undercover as a slicer. She was hired to get Cartan computers to talk to Republic and Imperial computers. Wedge says something odd is going on. What Kraken told him doesn't mesh with what they've seen or with the Empire being present. Wedge thinks they're going to probably have to duel their Imperial counterparts. Yeah, when Kraken said the planet was found, it was like within the last week or two, or something very, very recent. The implication was that it was super recent, yeah. But if Ayala is already here and undercover, like, she has to have been here for a while. Yeah. During this reception, the other pilots have also learned a little more about Audemar. Turns out, so we heard earlier that Cartan was not the world government, it was just a country here. There's not actually a world government, and Cartan does not re represent the rest of this planet. They're just the biggest, most powerful country, and control several others. Great. And I've always kind of thought that this book was a commentary on what would happen on Earth if we were visited by space-faring peoples. Us, the United States, were like, yeah, we're, we're big, we're important, we're in charge here, is totally what would happen. <laughs> I feel like there would be some other countries in the world the, that would make the, that assertion. The, there would be a few countries, to be fair, but we would definitely be one of them. Yeah. I mean, Independence Day happens in the U.S., obviously. Yeah. 
<laughs> Wes also points out that Cheris has a crush on Wedge, which Wedge is also not happy about. There's nothing that Wedge is happy about in this situation, except for the possibility of talking to Ayala again. Yep. For now, he says, just play dumb. He also asks Hobby to check for Republic listening devices in their quarters because while he trusts Tomer to have removed any Audemari or Cartan listening devices, he is sure there are Republic ones that have not been taken out. Especially given how little they know of what's actually going on. Like, if things were more upfront, he would not be so concerned about this, but they have not been upfront with him at all. Yeah. It's all very sus. Wedge says he will go to see Ayala at the appointed time while Wes and Tycho go back to the Allegiance and let them know that an Imperial ship is in the area and to not fire on them in surprise. Get ready for me to not pay any attention to anything that happens until we get to the Wedge Ayala meeting. <laughs> I was so distracted for all of the events that came after this before that meeting. I was like, can we please get to that point? <laughs> and then I was dismayed. We'll talk about that. The next day, Red Flight gets a chance to fly some Blade 32s. The ships fly very differently from an X-Wing, so they do need to be careful. And also, distance and time are measured differently here on Ademar. So, again, they've got to be, like, you know... Constantly doing math, apparently. Yeah. That's rough. And, of course, Wedge being Wedge, despite being a general, he just loves to fly regardless of the ship he is in. He could fly a box and be happy, let's be honest. They are challenged to a duel, but Wedge declines, and the challengers wish them luck as they leave. Bizarre. After landing, they learn that the Imperials accepted a challenge and shot four down. Only one of the pilots that fought the Imperials survived. Wedge asks if Sims are ever used, and Cherry tells him that some other countries use weaker lasers, but it is always live fire in Cartan. It's not always fatal, as one pilot did survive that encounter with the Empire. To avoid losing tons of pilots, the government instituted the protocols. And this is actually one of the few smart things about this society, I feel like. Except that I don't think it goes very... It doesn't go far enough to really prevent loss of life. Agreed, but it helps. Pilots who wish to duel must demonstrate that both will benefit from the duel. New pilots can't just challenge older pilots, since defeating the new pilot would give the experienced pilot nothing. They're already established. But if the new pilot had invented a new maneuver... Then they could fight because the older pilot could learn something from it, or the new pilot could show its effectiveness by beating somebody with more experience. So it's not perfect by any stretch, but it's a it's a nice first step. It is just very subjective, though. Yes. And I could easily see the system is super open for corruption. Yes. Like, if there's an arbiter who decides what duel will be worth it to both pilots... I can easily see them pulling some stuff out of their butt if one side or the other really wants the duel to go through, even though it wouldn't really follow this philosophy. Wedge asks, what would happen if he accepted a duel using only sim weapons? And Cheris says that he would either lose honor or the use of sim weapons would gain an honor and popularity. He's like, I can try that. <laughs> I like that. Because he is so well regarded that just by him doing it over time, like maybe sim weapons will gain honor. After dinner that night, Red Flight is attacked by six men. With Cheris's help, they are able to quickly beat these attackers. Wedge asks the leader why they were attacked, and the leader says honor. They would gain so much from fighting and beating the famous Wedge Antilles. Tomorrow, this same leader is going to try to kill the Imperial pilots, apparently. <laughs> why not? Cheris says he has no honor and is a paid assassin, and that he's carrying the coin he was paid with. All of them are. 
cool. Wedge turns them over to the Cartan guards and also takes blast swords for himself, Hobby, and Tycho. Wes, of course, already had one because <laughs> wherever they go inside, they can't have the blast sword with them, but they can't have the blast sword. <laughs> Wedge asks Cheris why she isn't a pilot. She says that she gets dizzy when she is up too high. Wedge suspects she has Virgo. So she concentrated on the blast sword instead. Wedge asks that she teach them how to use the blast sword and they'll teach her how to fight with her fists like they do since she was impressed by that. Yeah, and this melee essentially she used her blast sword but Tycho, wedge and hobby all just you know use their fists fist guys and <laughs> west probably did some weird combination yeah it's worth noting that this society is not as medically advanced as the rest of the galaxy mm-hmm. there is no known treatment for cheris's vertigo or even diagnosis it sounds like yeah like it's it's just kind of passed off as like this is a thing that happens to her, and as a result, there's no solution, and she has to pursue a different course in life, even though she did really want to be a pilot. Afterwards, Wedge tells the other pilot he is off to see Isla and slips away quietly. Before he can, though, Wes and Hobby are like, no, 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 you can't go. You're too sweaty after the fight. So Wes volunteers to go in his place. <laughs> Wedge tells Tycho that if Wes keeps this up, Hobby gets to choose his clothes for the next three days. And Hobby just looks so gleeful over this idea, and Wes looks so terrified. I feel like it's worth noting that, like, for the first time in this book, it was really driven home that Hobby has apparently a perpetual kind of mournful face. Yeah. Which I didn't pick up on, I don't think, in previous X-Wing books. Yeah. He, he's not super present in no. those. So we obviously know Tycho from the Rogue books very well, and Wes from the Wraith books very well. I think he was briefly yeah, in it. he was there, but he wasn't... He wasn't as big a presence as Wes was. Wes is a kind of a domineering presence because of the shenanigans he's always pulling. Yeah. So hobby looking gleeful is kind of unusual. Yeah. Unnerving almost. Yeah. And then we get to the scene you were looking forward to. Yep. Finally. Here we go. Wedge and Ayla meet up. She does have a bodyguard with her in the background. You've pronounced her name in a third way now. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Don't care. (laughs) Wedge asks her what's really going on. She says the New Republic has been aware of Adumar for five or six months, actually. Here, she's calling herself Fiona Novar. Adumari scout ships found other worlds, and they learned about the Empire and the Republic, but the mapping ship incident did happen. It just accelerated things. Others here are trying to help get a world government set up. Wedge says they basically are there just to stand around and look pretty, and Ayala says, yes. Very pretty. <laughs> Wedge says he doesn't like this place very much. Ayala agrees, but says the mania for pilots is less in other countries, and they value life a little more. That's a relief. They haven't seen each other in months, and now that they've talked, Wedge still feels apart from Ayala and asks, what's going on with them? And she's like, nothing. Nothing's going on. And he asks if they've stopped being friends, and she says yes, she supposes they have. Ugh! What? She then says, it's not you, Wedge. It's me. What? And she leaves. And he tr- he tries to stop her, but is unsuccessful. And as he watches her go, he is very clearly hurting over the end of this conversation. What? You were so distraught after this. I was so upset. I, <laughs> and I feel I have to admit something that I did because I was so upset. <laughs> I went to the last few pages of the book at this point and just sort of skimmed slightly to see if I could tell if Ayala and Wedge were talking again. <laughs> 
I don't know why. It just really upset me. I was like, why did we go through all the rigmarole of getting Kui out of the way? If Are they your EU OTP? No, that's probably Luke still Luke Mara. But they're up there. They're like, they're my rare pair. You know? I wouldn't call them a rare pair, though. They are. Isn't a rare pair is one that few people ship? I mean, I don't. I would bet that they don't have that much of a following. Why are you giving me that face? I think a lot of people ship them more than Wedge and Queen. Okay. I just mean, like, they're not, like, a big, buzzy couple. All right, okay, that's fair. Like, they're kind of low-key. They are. Does that mean Thor's around? No. <laughs> yeah, this is really upsetting to me. So I cheated. And I don't regret it because it offered me reassurance and allowed me to like pay attention to what happened next until this whole situation got resolved. The next morning, when Wedge wakes up, the pain has not subsided. <laughs> this poor boy <laughs> is so hurt from this conversation. <laughs> I was hurt too. But I also was instantly like, oh, she's mad that you were with Kui. Like, that's what this is about. Because they were, like, they were ramping up to be kind of a thing. And then her husband showed up. And then some... And died. Well, they were ramping <laughs> up even up after again. that. And then Anderson comes blundering through to do some it, stupid... Except that Anderson wrote his before the wrecking <laughs> books. Oh, that's true. <laughs> oh, there's a time travel problem here. <laughs> I always forget that. And I'm never going to remember <laughs> Wow, that means that Stackpole from the beginning, from the word go, was like, "No, I will not do this." This is stupid. I hate this. Because <laughs> going back to Wedge's Gamble when we first meet her, that's the first book she's in. God, that's true. And that we we did hear about her in Rogue Squadron because she was partners with Corinth. We'd we'd heard her name before that, but we first meet her in Wedge's Gamble on Coruscant. And, and those are all published after yeah. Jedi Academy trilogy. Well after. Man, I gotta admire Stackpole's hutzpah <laughs> in this situation. He's really growing on me like a fine wine. <laughs> good. <laughs> There's a reason why he's my second favorite Star Wars author. He has good ship opinions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. I guess that's true. I guess Anderson had first dibs on this, but like I could have been on board with Wedge Quee. At the, like, if I had been of an age to be reading those at the time that they were released, right? I could have been on board with it. But he didn't develop it at all. They were so... They were just thrown together. Tertiary characters. Wedge especially. Yeah. We at least was not a major character, but she was an important character in that series. Wedge was not. Yeah. So it just felt pointless. Whereas, like, Wedge and Ayala have a great, like, foundation. I realized that it was built after... <laughs> This and this is keep on. This is the ninth X-wing book. Now we didn't see the two of them together in every X-wing book. No, but like we did in Winter's Game when they first meet. We do in the Crydos Trap. That's the one where her husband comes back and where he ask, is about to ask her out right before he comes back. Yeah, and it's not because of that, and then he dies at the end of that book, and then and then it's not a good time. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's the back to work. Not a good time. Okay, that's fair, fine, fair enough. And then we get to the wraith books and by the end of that they were like yeah they were going somewhere they were i feel like i distinctly remember they were arm in arm at some function i think so but then we get to 
Fraun shows up, and that kind of throws it. Uh, keep in mind, as an intelligence officer, and he's an X-Wing pilot, they are, we've even discussed this before, so often far apart. Kind of like, exactly like Tycho and Winter. Yeah. Or Corn and Merrick's even to an extent. Yeah. Like, it, it's hard they, to be... They a... both have extremely demanding careers, which are putting them in different places at different times. And very dangerous yeah. places. It's different when just one of you has the demanding and dangerous career and the other one is like just chilling <laughs> yeah for Corin merrick's i wouldn't say hers is dangerous but hers is definitely demanding yeah though it is funny that she's the one who was finally kidnapped <laughs> though Corin was too oh, so much kidnapping so much abduction it's a star wars trope starting back to a new hope with leia <laughs> i guess that's true anyway i was really upset at this point because i anticipated it was going to be a little awkward and we were going to have to talk about him and Quee breaking up and all of that. But then they were going to like put their heads together Smooch. and really no, it has to start slower than that. <laughs> so they were going to put their heads together and they were going to figure out how to work this whole situation kind of secretly in league with each other because they're not actually supposed to be in league with each other, but like secretly making plans, figuring making out. stuff out, eventually making out. And then I, then it, this proton torpedo just landed in the center of all that. And I was like, this isn't how I thought it was going to go. <laughs> my imagination is uh, dangerous at once. My best quality and my worst quality. <laughs> I would say most dangerous quality. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Red Flight has no plans, so they decide to go flying, and they have sim weapons. They turn their weapons down to sim levels. Yeah, it's worth saying that they're not doing a lot of diplomacy, like yeah. the. Parader does not want to is not setting up any meetings with them. They're they're not talking. So, and Wedge has Cheris spread the word that they will accept challenges, but of sim weapons only. And while they're talking, Cheris is clearly not happy that Wedge slipped away the previous night. And at some, one point, she asks him if he was with another woman. And he's like, he's not quite sure how to respond. She's like, yeah, yes, technically yes. And then she's like, was she a pilot? And Wedge is like, no. <laughs> and then instantly Cherish is happier. And Wedge is like, what's going on to the other pilots? And Wes, somehow Wes is the woman whisperer of this group, which is hilarious to me. It's because he's made so many errors. Yeah, you're right. So he has, and he has a big database of evidence. And he's also, despite that, so likable still, despite the errors. Yeah, yeah. He's like, well, Wedge, you said the other woman wasn't the pilot's. So Cheris thinks he should still have a chance with you because she's not a pilot because in their culture, pilots trump everything. And Wedge is like, oh, oh, oh. I guess it's worth saying at this point that I don't like this subplot. It's an amusing subplot. I, I don't think it's amusing. Fair enough. I don't like it. And it's not because of my like rabid shipping of Wedge and Ayala. It's just like throw another female character in there and, and instantly she has, she has to, like, to be yeah. interested in the main character. Like, I get that she's quite young. I think she's like 19 or something. So she is still in the phase of life where like... This would be a sim run for her. Yeah, she's not making the the most logical, emotionally level decisions. But I I really like, I really like Cheris as a character, which is kind of why this upsets me, because I think she's better than this. <laughs> I agree. I also, so I think my issue is because this is been done so many other times kind of like you said for 
Callista, it made sorry not for Callista for Cray. It made it was upsetting that she chose to die to be because she couldn't be with the one she loves. Like you said, it made sense for that character. You're just tired of seeing that kind of thing done all the time. Exactly. If you hadn't done it all the time, that would make sense. I think Charis is like that because of the worship of pilots on this planet. And Wedge yeah. has been presented as best pilot ever. How could a young woman not be swept up in that? Yeah. But because that is such a common thing is why it's so tiresome. Which is and a- there are so, the the other side of that issue is that there are so few female characters in this era of Star Wars. And every time there is one, they are a love interest. Yeah. Like, if that happens less, then this wouldn't bother you, I feel like, as much. Because yeah. th- this imagine would make if, sense. Imagine if just one of the four pilots that Wedge brought with him was a woman who none of them had ever been interested in and who had never been interested in any of them. Like, it would even the playing field so much. Yeah. And then maybe for my own amusement, have Cheris be super interested in the female pilot that's with them. <laughs> <laughs> that might happen under Disney. That's not going to happen under. I Grievous, am unfortunately fully aware. Anyway, yeah. If it had if it hadn't been done to death already, it it wouldn't annoy me. But because it has been even by 1999, it had been done to death. Yeah. Like every, I think a lot of the X Wing books as like kind of like a summer blockbuster. Your been, your action adventure movie, your popcorn movie. They, they compared to the Top Gun of Star Wars is what they've been called oftentimes. Yeah. And in those movies, it's always a cast of mostly men. Mm-hmm. And if there's a woman in there, it's because she's a love interest. Yep. And that's... that's we have not happening. seen the newest Top Gun movie, so if that is different than that movie, we do not know this for sure. But generally speaking, for some of our blockbusters, that's often how it goes. I haven't seen any Top Gun movies. So sure. I have no idea. I didn't make that comparison. I just said summer blockbuster. I was thinking of Independence Day, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Though that one is better because the the female characters in that movie They're a lot more than just the love interest. Yeah, they're already in established relationships. It's not it's not really about the love story. Yeah. And they're doing other interesting things. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know how many times I'm going to give this TED Talk, but I feel like I'm getting better at it every time, so you should all be grateful. (laughs) (laughs) So, Red Flight practices against each other for a while, and it takes a long time, but eventually they do receive a challenge. And after confirming they have sim weapons, Wedge accepts the challenge. So the four challengers, because it's always got to be four and four, right? To be equal. Because Audemari and Cartan, they they all have their honor. The four challengers immediately focus on Wedge and Tycho being the two best pilots. So Hobby and Wes just kind of like have the easiest time Picking ever off. just beating them. And then afterwards, Wedge is like, hey, you want to go again? And the challengers are like, why? Y- y- what? Y- we can do that. What's going on? We're not dead. We could fight again. We could fight again. We could fight again. <laughs> go again. <laughs> <laughs> that. I love that so much. Like, wait, you could do this twice? (laughs) After they're all back on the ground, Wedge talks tactics with the challengers. He tells them their strategy makes them too predictable, but they counter that the greatest honor comes from killing the most prestigious opponents. Tycho says that's the second greatest honor. The greatest honor comes from protecting those who depend on you, and you can't do that if you're dead. What a wonderful response by Tycho. Yeah. The conversation drifts to love, family, and friends, and Wedge is still shook up over what happened with Ayala the night before. <laughs> Good. This will be on the poor boy's mind. I know for that. So long. I know that she upset you, Wedge, but I'm glad that you're upset about it. 
It's not like he did anything wrong necessarily, except for dating Kui. He and I had moved apart at that point, and I get it now. Over the next several days, Wedge keeps requesting an audience with the parader, but is continually denied. But Tomer does tell him that there's a rumor that a proposal for a world government is being worked on. So things are happening, even if you're not doing anything. For now, Red Flight keeps flying and doing sim fights. Challenges are now coming from other countries, too, like Halbagardia, Yadagon, and Thazeling. Those words sound made up, and you know what? They are. And you know what? I only had to take one run at pronouncing them. I'm impressed with myself. <laughs> However, the Imperials are still doing the kill, and as a result, are much more popular and have more honor. Well, it really depends on one's point of view, doesn't it? Ah! (laughs) (laughs) I will so rarely use that argument, but in this case, I think it applies. On one of these days, they're also giving you a tour of the underground missile manufacturing plant, because apparently the bombs and missiles here are made underground for some reason. Wedge hopes that it will make missiles for the Republic someday. But the workers down here don't look happy... Many live underground above the factories as they can't afford better housing. And Chera says if the factory is bombed, the apartments would be hit, but the factory would be okay. Cool, 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 cool. Company town. Great. I I love how there are so many moments like this where it's just, it's not subtle in its message. And I'm here for it. No, it's not. In fact, Chera used to work in a factory before she was good enough with the blast sword to earn a living. Now she only uses blast swords made by Gefane Deeper Craters Weapon Makers. Cheris estimates about 40% of the population lives underground. She tells Wedge to not feel bad for the workers. They can always volunteer for the armed forces or make a life with the blast sword, as she has done. So the only way out is by risking one's life, Wedge realizes. He likes this place even less after the tour, unsurprisingly. I'm so here for unsubtle messages like this. Right. Tomer also tells Wedge that four of the assassins escaped. And Wedge is like, should we be worried? And Tomer's like, no, don't worry about it. He's like, okay. At this point, this guy was kind of getting on my nerves. <laughs> Wedge feels like he's slowly getting through to the pilots at his informal flying school. Besides tactics and skill, there are often discussions of philosophy as well. Wes also tells them that they all have been given nicknames. And he's the darling one. Oh my god. Tycho is the doleful one, Hobby is the dour one, and Wedge is the diligent one. And I kind of love these nicknames. <laughs> Tycho got the worst one. Doleful. <laughs> that sad face. Whitecap has a malfunction and is just repeating what he hears. Hallis got knocked over in a crowd, apparently. So Wes says, some days make you want to just beat your heads against a wall, don't they? Hobby says, Maybe not. The young lady might not have her heads on straight, after all. Tycho then says, still, I think she ought to get her heads examined. Wedge just looks at all of them, appalled. And Hallis wonders who she offended to get this assignment. (laughs) (laughs) Hallis also tells them she saw somebody rappel onto the balcony and look at their X-wings, so they go out to the X-wings to check on them. Wedge asks Gate if anyone has been here, and he says no, just your usual reminder that Wedge reprogrammed a droid called Minoc because he didn't like the way it screamed, and now it's called Gate. At least Gate is still Gate? Gate lacks all personality. 
Wedge scrubs that droid's memory probably every day. I mean, I think it's supposed to be every month droids are supposed to be wiped or something. Uh, it's, it's a crime. It's criminal. <laughs> Hallis then says she lied. It was the only way to get them outside where there are no listening devices. Somebody apparently broke into their apartment, but they just walked in to do it. Like, they didn't break in. They had access. And they seemed to be checking on some transmitters while they were inside, so clearly the apartment is still bugged. Shocking. Shocking. She followed the man when he left. She took Whitecap off when she followed. People seem to not recognize her with him off, and she's aware of how ridiculous she looks with him on. <laughs> and Wedge interrupts and asks, are you intelligence trained? Because that seems like a little much for a children's hollow person. She says no. She's sludge news trained. Star Wars paparazzi, basically. And Wedge is like, oh. I see. She says it's very competitive, and it leads to being good at sneaking, bribing, etc., but she didn't like it, so she got out of it. Yeah, it's a scummy profession. Yeah. The intruder went into a room on the third floor of the same building that they're in, and she didn't see him leave, so she's like, that's probably his apartment. Great. Cheris and Tomer show up. And keep in mind, they're still outside on the balcony, balcony. with the X-Wings. On the landing pad. Cheris waits inside, but Tomer comes out and says he must speak with Wedge in private, and everyone must leave. Wedge says no. Tomer says the others may not want to hear this. He asks Hallis where Whitecap is. And then Hallis tells a, an amusing story and says... <laughs> When I was walking around today, I met a young man who had no head. Just a stump that suggested he had a long, sad story to tell. But of course, he couldn't, because he had no head. So I gave Whitecap to him. This man now has the voice and mannerisms of a 3PO unit, but that's <laughs> better than nothing. Tomer tells Wedge that he's corrupted Hollis too, and it has to stop. And the nonsense about the Sims has to stop as well. He's not happy that Wedge is changing some people's thinking. He wants Wedge to use live fire in his duels. He has to play by the Emperor's rules. Wedge says, never. Tomer says if he doesn't, the Empire wins and the Republic loses, and the Proton Torpedoes will be, not be heading to the Republic. Wedge says, if we act like the Empire, we become the Empire. And then, even if we defeat the Empire, we've still lost, because the Empire is once again in control. Just with a new name, and with new faces printed on the cred notes. I go Wedge. love Wedge's response to Tomer so much. I love, in this book, he's often struggling with what's right and what's wrong and what's honorable and what he should and shouldn't do. In his role on Adomar, basically. But he just he never loses sight of who he is and why he's fighting. He will not become the Empire. And I also love that this came out shortly after the prequel trilogy started because that's basically the thesis of the prequel trilogy, becoming the Empire, right? Like, yeah. You are this... Grand Republic. And look what you can become when you are not careful and you do things incorrectly. Yeah. And I just love this response so much. It's one of my favorite things Wedge ever says. Tomer hates this response, calls him a naive fool, and says this is an order. Wedge says that Tomer doesn't give him orders. Tomer says that intelligence is in charge and these orders come from the regional intelligence director who is anonymous and Tomer refuses to name this person. But Wedge says Kraken assigned him to this mission. He has to hear it from him, or it doesn't count. Wedge then dismisses Tomer. <laughs> Boom. Bye! Bye, Felicia. After Tomer leaves, Wedge asks everyone if they think Audemar is worth bringing to the New Republic, given what they've seen about this planet. Like Wedge's opinion of it has just kind of steadily dropped throughout the course of this book. He's basically saying, you know, you guys feel similar or not? And Hobby and Wes both agree that they just aren't so sure about this place. Tycho says they have made some inroads with their sim fighting and their philosophical discussions, etc. 
He then asks, what effect will Adamar have on the New Republic if it joins? Wedge says he's got a lot to think about, and he's going to go and get a drink alone. So he goes back inside and asks Cheris for a bar where he won't be recognized. So she tells him about one and also gives him a lavender face mask to wear to help the disguise as well. When Wedge arrives at the bar, it's not exactly what he was expecting, but it's set up for privacy, so it will work for him. It's a little more high scale of the dive he was looking for. Yeah, there are like fancy people here. Yeah. It's a fancy bar. As he drinks, he thinks about the Adumar issue. He doesn't think bringing Adumar in would hurt the New Republic, and he would certainly duel against Veneer to make it happen. But if Kraken told him to kill in the other duels, he would refuse and face a court-martial or be forced to resign, which would mean abandoning the last part of the life that he has. Like, he has nothing else at this point besides his career. That's rough, buddy. (laughs) His parents are long dead. His sister is still missing. He can't go back to Corellia. Everyone he knows is part of the New Republic military or connected to it in some way. But he would still refuse the orders despite all that. He should just let that happen and then set up a farm somewhere. And this is why I love Wedge so much. This is why I think this is his best Because he should set up a farm somewhere? No, because he knows... It it reminds me a little what Corrin tells Luke about facing the dark side. Mm. Not quite as dramatic as Corrin puts it, but this is... Wedge knows what is right and what is wrong, and he if it, he's if and if it has consequences wrong, for him, he will still do it. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate that about him. Wedge then hears a Coruscant accent in a booth near him, so he walks over and sits down across from Admiral Rogris. He is the admiral who helped Han and the Wraiths fight against Zinj. So yeah, an Imperial who we kind of like, had some fun with, didn't cooperated on, with, didn't just want to shoot on sight. Yeah. They talk for a bit, and Wedge asks why Palpatine named Star Destroyers the way that he did. Executor, Agonizer, Iron Fist, etc. He then says what Luke thinks. Put a man or woman in a situation where the actions he's obliged to take are a certain path to personal corruption. Fill his ears with words saying his actions are honorable, but surround him with the wrongness of what he's doing. Our victim will cling to the word but will at some level always be aware of the wrongness. The symbols, such as the names of the ships, won't let him forget. He's always aware of his descent, of his slow transference to the dark side. And this actually really just made me laugh when this came up, because we've had this discussion of why the Empire <laughs> name started with the Why way did it they does. name things such obviously evil names? <laughs> so it's just, this made me giggle when it came up, and I, I like this idea that Luke has. Yeah. They also talk of honor, and Wedge notes that Rogris looks like he's wrestling with a question of it. Wedge was too, but he's decided that he's solved the question, and as he leaves, he wishes Rogris luck with his own philosophical wanderings. What a interesting conversation. Yeah. An hour later, Wedge and Wes are back on the Allegiance, looking through records, and Wes asks why he's the one up here and not Soul Planet. And Wedge says that, well, Tycho's in charge while well, I'm gone, and someone has to look after you besides Tycho, so you're with me. Wow, it's like a five-year-old. It really is. Professional five-year-old Wes Jansen. Saliban says that Rogris was always considered an intellectual. He also thinks there will be a fight between the two Star Destroyers. Assuming Adamar goes to the Republic, there's no doubt in his mind that Rogris will be forced to attack the Allegiance. If Adamar goes to the Empire, the Allegiance has been ordered to leave. He notes that the order did not come from Organa Solo herself. She's on a diplomatic mission in the Meridian Sector, which is where our next book takes place. Planet of Twilight. Looking forward to that one. 
Are you? No. <laughs> Both sides have promised to leave peacefully if they don't get Audemar, but he doesn't expect the Empire to honor that promise. They head back to the planet, and Wedge determines that it's time to go see Ayala and ask Wes for her address. They get to her door and knock, but there's no answer, so they wait in the hall for a long time. While they wait, someone else comes by, but he's going to the apartment next to Ayala's. Looking for a duel. He's like, are you so-and-so? And they're like, no. I was like, okay, have a good day. <laughs> Ayala eventually shows up and pulls a blaster on Wedge before pulling him inside. She says he can't be here, but he ignores that and asks her for help because there's no one else who can help him at this point. He needs her to send a message off-world for him. She again says that she can't. He knows this and says he gets that she's under orders, but he's asking her to break those orders. She asks why, and Wedge says that he knows that Tomer is the regional head of New Republic Intelligence and is her boss. She won't confirm or deny that. And Wedge says, you know, it's fine. I know you can't. I only just recently figured it out. He just wants to make sure that Kraken learns what's really going on and not the doctored version he is sure Tomer is sending to him. Ayla wants to help, but she has a very clear champion and cannot break it. She's sorry and asks for anything else that she can do. So, Wedge asks for a way to contact Rogris without either the Empire or the New Republic knowing about it. She's like, I can help you with that one. I can do that. I'm spy. I'm good. <laughs> Wedge also tells her of his decision to resign if he's asked to kill civilians. At that point, his life as he knows it will be over. And since she's part of that whole life as he knows it being over, he just wants to know how he lost her. And she says, it's not your fault, it's something that she did. Wedge was there for her after Derek died, and she eventually started wondering if they had a future together. And Wedge says, you know, he had similar thoughts at the time. And she said she just kept waiting for the right moment. They were friends, she just needed that signal from deep in her mind that she was ready to start her life again. And then all of a sudden, Kui was there, and she realized she'd waited too long. That was her mistake. After Wedge and Kui got together, it hurt too much to see Wedge, so they drifted apart. Wedge says that he and Kui broke up, so maybe they can start over. She says she won't be number two to some feather brains, and then they are suddenly interrupted by an explosion next door as a duel happens. So Wedge grabs her to the floor and draws his blaster, but she says not to worry, it's just her neighbor. Not her, a place to live. They're always doing this. <laughs> she then says that Wedge should leave. And I'm guessing you just love the next part. Yeah. <laughs> He's about to leave, and then stops and says... How stupid do you think I am? And Isla just kind of looks like, what are you talking about, you stupid man? <laughs> he says he's been mourning ever since she told him that they weren't friends. They've both made mistakes, and him leaving right now would be another one. She can toss him out physically, but he will not leave. I wonder if she can actually toss him out physically, because it's not like Wedge is a large man. And I'm, she and is she certainly trained. she has special spy training. Slash, she was a cop. Yeah, that's true. I'm, there's no doubt in my mind she could toss him out on his butt <laughs> if she wanted to. He's a frail pilot. I don't think he's frail. No. But he is slight, perhaps. She's a martial class. He is not. What class do you think he is? Rogue, maybe? Maybe. Wraith? <laughs> <laughs> Wedge tells her that he loves her and then kisses her and she reciprocates. She says that what he said sounded like a proposal. Wedge says they should make it formal, but she says later after Adumar is over. She then asks him if he can forgive her if they end up on opposite sides during this whole situation. And he says just until this Adumar mess is over. Much, much later, Wedge leaves. And poor Wes has been sitting in the hallway this entire time. He's like sitting in the stairwell. Yeah, and he's, 
He's just very stiff and can't really move. So for <laughs> a couple of hours, he's just very uncomfortable. He does report he did hear heavy breathing in the stairwell in the middle of the night, but didn't actually see anyone when he looked. And which is just kind of unconcerned because he's he's on cloud nine after what just happened. Yeah, the honeymoon phase has begun in a weird, weird place for it. So oh. I I did really like this, but it happened way too fast for me. That's fair, but I feel like that's. That's Star Wars for you, for the romance. I guess. I mean, Han and Leia had three years of griping at each other before they got together. Sure, I mean, but these two did have multiple books of making eyes at each other. I know. They did have an interruption of Quee. But I wanted them Derek. to, like, do a little bit more work while, like, working together during this time on, like, re-establishing their friendship before leaping straight to this. That's fair. I feel like that was... That'd be hard unless you wanted to have them get together much later in the book. That's what I wanted. Okay. You never have them get together early in the book. I mean, this isn't early. This is about halfway. It's about the halfway point, but to this point, they've only had a couple of conversations. Yeah. So for them, it feels quite early. Okay. I do think that they have enough of a history that it's fine and it works as is. I just, I want to be teased (laughs) (laughs) for longer. Like... I mean, I'm a reader of romance novels, you know, like the big love declaration does not come until like after after the all hope is lost point. Like it comes at the end. Okay, That can take a lot of different forms. It might be that the two characters think that they're in love with each other earlier in the book and they just haven't said it. It might be that they said it, but they didn't really know what they meant by it. And they didn't really know the other person. So something interrupts that. And when they come back to say it again, it's more genuine. It can take a lot of different forms or like in the historical romance that I've read lately, like you got to get married before you love the other person because the only pathway to sex in a historical romance novel is through marriage. (laughs) But yeah, I just wanted it. I I wanted them to have, because it's been so long at this point since we saw them on page together, I wanted them to have more interactions where they're ramping up to the relationship before we got there i guess for me because generally speaking when i've read the eu in the past it's been at a much faster pace than this podcast has been so it doesn't feel as far apart from when i last saw them together it feels quite long for me because it has been a while since the broken wraith books that was god about a year ago now i don't know because i have no concept of time we, anymore we've but... had courtship we've had the thrawn trilogy we had dark empire we had Jedi. it's got at least been a year all of that was after wraith squadron yeah wasn't it the Thrawn trilogy was after Wraith Squadron? Yeah, it is. The only X-Wing book post-Thrawn, I besides this one, Revenge. is Ice Revenge. Okay. And I'm trying to remember if Isla was in that or not. I don't remember her being in it. But... If she was, it was a very minor role. It was much more focused on the... She was, because she killed Dala. She... Uh, it, right. just, it was mainly her and Merrix together in that book than her and Wedge, because they had the girls' trip. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now I'm thinking about it. I remember being disappointed by the lack of Wedge Ayala content in that book. Yeah. But I think that's actually the book that you were thinking of when they kind of like were holding hands at the end or something. Oh, at like a party. Yeah. They were like arm in arm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. So yeah, I just wanted more. That's fair. I want more. Or if we like, well, I usually read these all in like within a month span, so it would feel much closer. It feels slow to me. Obviously, because we're reading it. A book a month. And, like, I'm never eager anymore to get to the next book because it's always a stinker. 
This one wasn't. This one wasn't. But like, I'm, I'm like, I hope you take a long time reading Planet of Twilight because I do not want to read that book. So <laughs> the longer you hold on to it, the more of a reprieve I have. <laughs> anyway, yay, they're going to get married. <laughs> <laughs> wow, jumping the gun a bit, but okay. That's what... Assuming both survive. I mean, come on. <laughs> if... I I don't think that Alston would kill Ayala after doing that. Right, and obviously true. Wedge is not going to die here. I mean, he has killed a number of wraiths in his books. Yeah, but not Wedge. No. Fan Wedge almost has main character plot armor. Well, again, because this is the last book written by Bantam Spectre, if he appears in any books later, then he has to survive. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure... I'm sure he's in the Hand of Thrawn Duologian. I'm sure he is. So, yes, he has plot armor. Yeah. So I, I felt pretty confident that they were going to win what, in whatever way that that meant on this terrible planet, and then they were going to get married. Okay. That's the plan. Okay. The next day, Tomer says that the Parator will make an announcement about the world government. Wedge tells his pilots to wear their New Republic dress uniforms. They aren't locals. It's time to start acting like the professionals they are. <laughs> Wedge, we met these guys. <laughs> From now on, it's dress uniforms whenever they go to functions. He's going to stop legitimizing and emulating this planet's bad behavior. I love these treat them like children. Hobby's right. muttering under his breath, great, who brought the old Wedge Antilles out of retirement? I don't think this was under his breath. I think this was out loud, so much can hear. I mean, you can hear somebody talking under their breath. True. In fact, often you talk under your breath intentionally so yeah. that people will hear you. And since Hobby is apparently very mournful looking, I don't imagine him like if Wes had said this line, I would imagine him just like shouting. At yeah. Him. Meanwhile, Hallis tells the pilots that she's figured out who's on the third floor and came into their apartment the other day. Wedge stops her. He's like, it was Tomer, wasn't it? And she's like, yes. How would you know? He's like, yeah, I just figured it out. And also, why did I waste my time trying to figure it out if you knew? It's like, well, I, you confirmed it for me. At the event, a minister comes to talk with Wedge. Ayala is with him. She is introduced to the pilots, and she palms a note to Wedge, which is a code to contact Rogerus. She good spy. She good spy. The Imperial pilots are, of course, there, but they are wearing the local dress and are clearly upstaged by the by Red Flight wearing their dress uniforms. And they're like, oh, we should have thought of that. Because the Red Flight, they just they stand out because they don't look like anyone else right now. Yeah. Before the parader can make his announcement, Cheris duels. Hobby notes that she's still wearing the same clothes from yesterday, and something about this duel feels wrong to Wedge. She does win, but she looks tired, and looks to the parader to decide her challenger's fate. He indicates that she should kill her opponent, but she refuses and walks away. And everyone's all aghast, like, <gasps> Wedge asks her what's going on. She says that while she's been playing tour guide for them, the challenges have really been piling up, so she's taking care of them now. Cherison says Wedge had best go, or someone might grow suspicious. Wedge then realizes it was Cheris in the staircase who Wes heard breathing. It's like, oh, this is bad. Cherish duels again and wins again, but this match was a much harder fight, and she's in rough shape afterward, and the parator turns away and doesn't even give a signal for this fight. He is very clearly upset with her after her refusal to listen to him. The parator then gives a speech to all of Audemars, and says, I'm establishing a world government, because that's how this works. And the foreign dignitaries who are here are clearly not happy, and they had no vote or say in this. And Wedge is like, I don't really like this, but Tomer's like, you know, it's not our problem. This is their worldly affairs. We can't intervene or interfere. Uh-huh. 
The Parator then tells the other nations they must make their own decision, but it would be much easier and better for them if they go along with this announcement. They want to govern them as friends and allies, not as enemies of the states. Nice guy. Yeah. Tomer tells Wedge this is an internal affair. They can't get involved. And Wedge is... He's ready to just punch this guy at this point. <laughs> so am I. Cheris then gets ready to duel again. Wedge tells her no. He knows that if she loses, she'll be killed because of her ignoring the parader's orders to kill her opponent. And Wedge says she's intentionally committing suicide. He also says that he wishes she had any respect for him because if she did, she wouldn't be throwing her life away. She's acting dishonorably. She agrees that she'll stop after this fight, but it's too late to back out of this one at this point. Yeah, it takes a little while, but he finally gets through to her. Like, you know, don't do this. So the duel begins, and it's not going well, and Cherish actually ends up losing, and she is about to die. And Wedge is ready to interrupt. But surprisingly to me, Wes beats him to it. He's like, I challenge you! <laughs> he calls the challenger a ribbon head, and he will withdraw his challenge to that person if the person kills Cheris. So he's making a condition of their challenge to be that Cheris is allowed to live, even though she was defeated. Tomer's like, you, you can't do this, but Wes is like, I don't care what you say, I've already done it! Wes has no care for decorum. No. So Tycho and Hobby quickly get Cheris out of there, while Wes gets ready to fight. Wedge tells Wes that really it should be him fighting, not Wes, but Wes gives him three reasons why he should do it instead. Wedge is the diplomat, so it would look bad if he stepped in and did this. Wes will enjoy it. <laughs> and while he's not 100% sure what happened the night before, he tells Wedge to consider this an engagement present. <laughs> I love this so much. How close to the door were you listening, Wes? How close do you need to be? I mean, parts of their conversation were quite quiet. Just because two people have sex doesn't mean they're going to get married the next day. <laughs> Historical romance aside. Well, actually, I wonder, after that explosion happened, it was after that when Wedge essentially proposed. At that point, Wes could have been closer because of the explosion to make sure everything was okay. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. Before the duel can really begin, Wes starts drawing images in the air with his blast sword. He draws a Bantha, a Blade 32, and then a stick figure of his opponent says, Hey, this is you! <laughs> Reminds me a little bit of in The Mummy Returns. When O'Connell tells Evie, you know, if you wave your torch around fast enough, you can write your name with it. Do you remember that at the beginning? Yeah. So the person attacks Wes, and he manages to thankfully block the first attack. And then quickly he gets rid of both blast swords and proceeds to just beat the, his, uh, his opponent with his fists. Just makes a good old-fashioned street brawl. That was his whole plan. Yeah. Get rid of the blast swords, fight me with your fists. And afterwards, Wes is like, wait, that was your plan? Block once and then punch, and Wes is like, yeah, I think I could get at least get one block in, and then I would have a chance. <laughs> Typical Wes Jansen plan. Uh, Daiko tells Wedge that Cheris is in a back-to-tank and doing well. Hobby asks what's next, and Wedge says, subverting an Imperial Admiral. Oh, something easy, Hobby replies. Wedge continually calls the number Ayala gave him and eventually gets a response and sets up a meeting. Roger shows up to the meeting, and he's not looking too great. Kind of haggard, tired, little shabby. Not like the usual Imperial Admiral you would think about. And Wedge quickly says, I'm not here to bribe you. I'm just here to give you a way out. And Rogris just starts laughing at him. Wedge says there's a way out of his dilemma and just asks that Rogris listen to him. If Audemars goes to the New Republic, Rogris's honor will be destroyed, or he will. 
Wedge says that he's in the same boat. If honor is important, Rogris can come to him for protection. Rogris says that Wedge is absurd. To which Wedge replies, I've been told that before. Hypothetically, if Rogris did come to Wedge, his children wouldn't know what he did and that would... That'd be too much for him. He couldn't do it because of that. They wouldn't wouldn't know why. Yeah. And Wedge says, if he raised them right, and he's sure he did, they'll know what he did and why he did it. Wedge also promises to get them a message with the truth of what happened. Both of them are imperial military within the structure that Rogris is attached to. Wedge then gives Rogris a number to call and tells him to call it whenever he wants to, even if it's to gloat over his victory. At flight school the next day, not many show up and there's no crowds watching when they leave. The Praetor calls for another gathering about the world government that night. This time, the Imperials got the memo and show up in their own dress uniforms. Tomer tells Red Flight that there will be a war. And Wedge says, this is all going according to your plan, isn't it? And Wedge says, I know you're the regional head of New Republic Intelligence here. The Empire clearly surprised you and it moved up your time frame which is why you're pushing so hard for this world government as fast as possible. And Tomer says that Wedge is interpreting everything in the most negative way possible, but I think Wedge has it pretty much right. Wedge says Tomer has to win because his revised plan won't fly with Kraken. Even if it works, Chief of State Organo Solo may call him a war criminal. And I think, yeah, Leia definitely will if she finds out the truth. The Parator shows up and says that Halbogardia and the Yedagon Confederacy are not falling in line with the world government plans that Cartan is going to lead. So, for the sake of all Audemar, they are outside his protection and efforts of pacification will begin soon. He then asks the pilot heroes of the Republic and Empire to step forward and ask them to lead Cartan forces in the fight. Fenir will be happy to do so, but Wedge declines. The Parader asks why does the Empire care more for Cartan than the Republic does? Wedge suspects the New Republic cares more, and that's why they must decline. What a response. Tomar is clearly mad at Wedge and what he's doing, and says, I need to go smooth this out. So we go talk to the, par- the Parator. And they're kind of like talking pretty animatedly for a little bit. And then after they speak, the Parator exiles the Republic pilots and tells them to remove themselves by gauntlet to Giltella Air Base. Tomer tells Wedge their X-Wings are being impounded and they'll be dead before they can get to their blades. He says the gauntlet to airbase means that they have to get to the airbase by whatever means necessary, and if they make it, they'll be given blades, but anyone can kill them on their way there. They're safe once they arrive at the base, but on their way, it is open season on red flight and it's perfectly legal to kill them. Once they're in their blades, then again, it is open season on them once they're in the air, but they'll be allowed to at least get to the ships first. Wedge then turns to the crowd and asks if anyone will get them blast swords because he had instructed his pilots to get rid of them when they started wearing the dress uniforms again for the Republic. And they are given blast swords. And surprisingly enough, when they get to the exit, they are actually given their blasters. They are allowed a fighting chance here, which is why it's legal to hunt and kill them. It's really weird, this planet. Wedge then tells Red Flight that whatever people expect them to do, they don't do. They will do the exact opposite. It's the only way they're going to survive. So he asks them, what will people expect us to do? The answer? Expect them to go to the gate and go out on foot. So he says, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something else. So instead of the gate, they actually go to one of the nearby ground vehicles and pile into it. As they go for the vehicle, the crowd fires wildly at them, but few come close. 
Wes calmly fires back. They get in the vehicle and use it to crash through the gate. However, the vehicle is shot so much that it quickly breaks down. So they run into a building instead of heading for another transport. They break into an apartment and ask for cloaks. As they leave, someone inside says, thank you for honoring our home. Because they they also clearly have not gotten the uh, memo yet, I think. Or maybe they do, but they're not fighters. (laughs) It's still... It's still honorable for them to be in their house. I guess. Like, they, like, well, I respect for Wedge, and then I'm going to kill you. It's, it's weird. It's a weird place. One thing I actually really like about this part is it's it shows very clearly how dangerous Wes Jansen is. Like, usually he is the clown of the group. He is a crack shot. And I, I like that we can see it not just in an X-Wing, but on foot as well. Yeah. They are eventually able to blend in with people outside, but they cannot get near the airbase. There's too many people just looking for them. So Wedge gets an idea and says that they'll need women's clothing. And Hobby's clearly not thrilled by this idea. He's like, we're not going to wear them, are we? Wedge's like, no, No, we're not going to wear it. Half an hour later, they're wearing women's clothes and in a transport. And Hobby just looks at Wedge and is like, you lied to me. (laughs) And Wedge says, I did. With my brilliant achievements in the diplomatic profession has come the realization that lies can be powerful motivators. And then Hobby says, my faith is shattered. <laughs> Wes asks, who's the best looking in a woman's dress? Of course he asks. I mean, if you guys only had half an hour to make this work, I bet that all of you look pretty wretched. So, yeah, I'm I'm not... Not sold on any of them? No, I'm not. I hope they also got, like, bonnets. I think so. <laughs> Wedge then asks Psycho to start broadcasting a message that they have prepared. And he's hoping it'll be picked up and appear on the local TVs all around the city. It's a video of Wedge and Wes being seen near a very distinct building that is pretty far away from the base they're trying to get to. And remember, there are these TVs all over the city. And so the broadcast is picked up on the TVs and the crowd around the base sees it like, oh, we got to go there. And many of them leave. There were over 200 people around the airbase. After this message, there's only about 30 left. And the red flag's like, okay, we can deal with this. Good strategy. But that also means that part of that half an hour went to making this sham video. So y'all definitely don't look like women. Look convincing. <laughs> red flight then fires at the people left at the base and crashes through the gate. Once they're inside, the guards say, hold on, hold on. You're safe now. Don't shoot us. <laughs> the ground hunt is now over. Now they will face pilots once they're airborne. Oh, good. They are given Blade 32s that are in exquisite condition, which is a little surprising, but the mechanics say to sabotage them would sabotage their killer's honor. Cool, cool, cool. Wedge is like, okay, we're going to keep following the plan of what do we not do? What do they expect to do now? And someone says, fly out the hangar. And Wedge is like, exactly. <laughs> and then blows a hole at the back of the hangar and they fly out there. So the ambush waiting for them at the exit fails. They get to the air and it's 30 against 4. And Red Flight is, they're winning, but Wedge has taken some damage and can't get to space. Same for Hobby and Tycho. Wes is the only one who can have a chance to get to the Allegiance. But before he can escape to space, his ship is shot down and he is forced to eject. Wedge orders Hobby to stay with Wes. And when they land, to go to that club where they ate the pastries the other night. Wes had pastries at Ayala's the other day. Wedge and Tycho will take care of the remaining six ships. They do win, but they are in rough shape. Wedge decides they'll go for Halbergardia. It's within their flight range. But then two more squadrons appear. 
Wedge and Tycho are ready to fight, but then one of these squadrons turns on the other and challenges them to a duel so they have to accept. <laughs> giving Wedge and Tycho a chance to get away. And these are clearly people who have been to the Red Flights flight school and you know, Wedge says, thank you so much. And they decide to land, wait for darkness, and then hit Ayala's rather than going for the other country. Wes and Hobby are already at Ayala's and have already bathed by the time Wedge and Tycho make it. Lucky them. Cheris and Hallis are there too. Cheris went to their apartment and Hallis was there, so she knew that Wedge would come here and brought Hallis along. Hallis knew their quarters would be ransacked with everything going on, so she robbed it first. <laughs> she has clothes, pilot suits, calmly, etc. Josh tells Wes that he has his love notes that he's been collecting. And Wes is like, oh, wait, you know about those? And then she says, actually, no, I, I was joking about that part. Wes is like, oh, no, I want the secret out. <laughs> they actually exist. It was like letters that other people were writing to him, right? Yeah. yeah. Just a collection of them. <laughs> of course he would keep them. So weird. Wedge asks Ayala what she can do without ruining her life. She says not much, but she can at least shelter them for now. Hallis then asks to talk to Ayala privately and tells her, I'm going to persuade you to abandon your mission, to go with Wedge and the others, and to shoot your superior right in the guts if you ever happen to see him again. Ayala says that'll take a lot of persuading. So they leave. A few minutes later, they come back in. Ayala says, change of plans. I'm abandoning my post and my mission. And if I see Tomer Darpfin, I'm going to burn him down where he stands. <laughs> <laughs> that was persuasive of Hollis. And we're just like, How, how'd you do it? I need to know these things. <laughs> and Hollis says, well, you're not going to like it, but I took this video, so check this out. <laughs> and when Tomer and the Imperator were talking earlier, after Wedge had refused the offer to lead the Cartan forces. And Tomer is talking and offers an apology and says that the pilots want to help, but their orders won't let them, and it has robbed them of their will to live, and they long for death to burn away their shame. Tomer says that Wedge wants to be attacked so he can die honorably, and that it must look like an act of justice. The Parader feels bad for Wedge, like, oh, that poor man. And and at first he's really mad, and I was like, oh. And he says that he understands, so... Tomer then calls the Allegiance and tells them to not respond to any calls from the planet until he calls and gives them a very specific code, effectively cutting Wedge off from the other support that he could have had. Wedge is unsurprised by this video and says Ayala and any other subordinates would be next on the list for Tomer because, well, what he's doing is very, very bad and illegal. Basically, anyone who could show Tomer for what he really is to the New Republic has to be on his list. Yeah. So Ayala asks where they go next. <laughs> And Cheris says that she knows a way to get them out of the country, and Wedge agrees to go along with it because they cannot stay here. By dawn, they are on a transport leaving Cartan. Wedge is awake while the rest of the pilots are catching some sleep. Cheris is not looking at him. Ayala is tucked under Wedge's arm, and he's as happy as he's been in years. Aww. Cheris then asks if she can speak to Wedge privately. And he says, yeah, sure. So they cast up away from everyone. And... She says that he was right and she was wrong. She also, about the whole honor, death, suicide thing, the <laughs> duels. You know, the whole honor, death, suicide thing. And she also says, while she was getting treatment, the medics learned of her issues with heights, and they had a way to help her with it. And they gave her a drug, and as long as she takes it on a schedule, she'll be able to fly someday. She apparently was able to stand somewhere near there at a great height and look down and have no issues, like testing the drug. Yeah. 
She realized how wrong Cartan is and how right Wedge has been. Throwing away her life would not have been honorable. She wants to be a pilot for the New Republic, if they'll have her. Wedge says if they live through this, then she will be. After returning, Ayala asks if everything is all right, and Wedge says that Cheris is growing up, maybe two or three years since the other nights. Once out of the country, they meet the rulers of the Yetagon Confederacy and say that they will be happy to get the pilots to the Allegiance. But first, they ask Wedge if he will lead the fight against Cartan. And they actually make a very convincing case. They aren't asking him to lead the Yetagon Confederacy. They're asking him to lead all nations that are against Cartan. And they also say if he does lead them, at least two more neutral countries will join them, and some that are currently with Cartan will leave them. They have fewer fighters, and these fighters are older than Cartan's. So it's still going to be a tough fight. Wedge asks for a few minutes to think about it. The others leave, but Isla stays with him. And Wedge tells her he was going to say no immediately, but the offer of a unified force surprised him as well as making him think about this. If he leads the fight, it could actually accomplish his mission of bringing a unified planet into the New Republic, what they wanted to do all along. But if he does it, it would be more than writing a treaty. It would be deciding the fate of whole nations and maybe of Adumar as a whole. Ayala says if he doesn't, he is still deciding their fate. Wedge says she's right, so he's going to do it. Wedge is immediately ready to get to planning, but Tucker's like, no, you're not planning right now. You're going to bed. <laughs> Tycho's like, I am the leader of Rogue Squadron. I am your successor. I will plan this for you while you're sleeping. And then after you wake up, you can go over and edit it to your heart's content. But go to bed. <laughs> because Wedge did not sleep on the flight. Everybody else did. So he is burning the candle at both ends. Wedge says this is a mutiny, but he goes to bed. <laughs> alone. <laughs> and he feels much better after 11 standard Coruscant hours of sleep. This is one of the few times they talk about standard hours or whatever. Which they did earlier as well when they were talking about the time and distance in the Blade 32s. So I appreciate that also as one of the few authors to think about this. God, can you imagine getting 11 hours of sleep in one go? I mean, when I was in college? I miss that. Yeah. <laughs> After waking up, he also learned that several countries have joined their cause because of his presence, not just the two he was initially told about. And Tycho presents his plan to Wedge, and Wedge makes a few changes here and there, but overall, he, he likes it. Tycho says that the Imperator likes noontime assaults, they look really good on recording, so they're going to attack Cartan at dawn. Wedge also gets the idea, you know what, we're going to add in false names to everyone, so look, I'll be Wedge, and John Smith, and Jane Doe will also be Wedge. Basically, by changing their transponder code, they're going to confuse the Cartan forces because of how they fight. They've seen how they fight, they attack Wedge, they attack Tycho and no one else. They look for the kills that will make them the most, that will like give them the most honor. So by allowing people to toggle between like known identities that maybe have collective honor and unknown identities that don't, it'll confuse their whole system. <laughs> they will also send an advanced unit to target the Cartan squadrons, at which point Hobby starts jumping up and down and says he wants to be a part of it. He's sick of playing nice and just wants to blow something up. <laughs> He's a simple man. <laughs> Wes is going to go with him, too, because he's in the same boat. Wedge says the pilots will fly like they are with the New Republic. They will be flying for victory, not glory. If someone flies for glory instead, he's going to shoot them down himself. Charis will go with the ground team to try and find their X-Wings, and Hallis will be on a ship recording everything. 
Wedge asks Isla to go to the Allegiance and get a copy of Tomer's recordings into their hands, however she can do it. Because remember, they are not answering anyone's calls. And she's like, yeah, I've already done that while you were asleep, dude. Took care of that. He was like, wait, wait. What now? You've been up in space and come back already? (laughs) So basically, she flew up to the Allegiance. and Very carefully. They would not answer her calls. So she just kind of approaches very slowly, docks very carefully, gets (laughs) out of her ship, and like, they have guns drawn on her because they don't know who, they can't know anything and she then gets to talk to captain Sullivan, and he is clearly not happy with his orders but he also won't break them she gives him the recording and she's like don't watch this just make sure kraken gets it. that won't go against your orders make sure kraken gets this and all will be okay and then she just left before the mission starts wedge gives a speech to everyone under his command and it feels very independence day to me <laughs> didn't it feel like that yeah they're all, like, standing in the hangar. He's, like, on the little ladder leading up to his ship or whatever. And it ends with them cheering and applauding, and then they start chanting, Adumar. And I like that. We will not go quietly into the night! We're going to survive! <laughs> Today, we celebrate Adumar's Independence Day! God. Wedge and Ayala kiss and then head to their separate stations. Wedge gets in his ship and is ready to fight. At dawn, the battle begins as they get to Cartan. And near the city, the capital, Wedge sees the four TIE interceptors. And he knows he can't match them in the blade ships that they are in. So he's currently not Wedge. (laughs) After completing their part of the mission, Wes and Hobby join Wedge and Tycho. Together they wait for the TIEs to get close and then target the lead TIE together and blow it up. Woohoo! Woohoo! Tycho is shot down during the fight, but ejects in time. And Isla then tells Wedge that Cheris has found their X-Wings. Their astromechs are broadcasting a Republic signal, making them easy to find. Wedge then pings Gate and learns that the ships only have cosmetic damage, and then he has Gate send Cheris images of where they are to help her get the ship. The fight is going well for Wedge's forces, but attrition is starting to take its toll on them. Also, the Ties are just killing a ton of their people. And the Ties are being a lot more careful after losing one of them. Based on the images that Gate sent her, also I love that Gate gets to play hero in this book. Be restored. <laughs> At this point, I, I, Gate is Gate. Let, let Gate be is how I would put it. Give him to someone who will appreciate him. That's fair. Jairus realizes the X-Wings are in the Parator's personal hangar. Because it looks all... There's a really nice, like, unique Blade 32 or something. And there's like, oh, I know where they are. When Wedge arrives, she has him blow open a metal door, which should lead to the palace. Cheris and her team will go for the Parader, while Red Flight gets in their X-Wings and flies out. Wedge is so happy to be back in his X-Wing, he actually does a barrel roll for fun. <laughs> they quickly find the Ties and take one out, but Javi is damaged. Wes stays with him while Wedge and Tycho play like they're crippled. The other Ties take the bait, and they take out one of them, but Fenir gets away and heads for space, leaving the fight. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Empire gonna Empire. They run away when things get tough, right? Cartan forces start surrendering to Wedge. To them, it's more honorable to surrender to him than to the lesser countries. Jairus then calls Wedge and says, Hey, please come to the palace, we got a problem. Wedge and Tycho get to the Parader, who Cheris has under guard. Tomer is there, too. The Parader has told his ships and officials to surrender, but he's refusing to do so himself because it wouldn't be honorable. Wedge says if he dies instead, the Empire will show up and decimate them since he has named no heir. Cartan will be disorganized. Wedge asks, what if he retires instead? The Praetor says he could abdicate for one of his sons, but he'll need to find out if they are alive or not. They are all pilots. This question kind of takes him by surprise. It's like, 
tire. <laughs> what? what? I can do that. What? <laughs> for their own safety, children in Cartan are often raised under assumed names away from their parents for protection. All children or just royal children? I think children of people who are... Prominent people with lots of honor. Right. So royalty, certainly. Nobility, certainly. But like, I feel like if Cheris had a child, they would probably be raised away from her as well. Because wow. people would want to, you know? That's rough, buddy. Basically celebrities. Again, this is our culture turned up to 11 in a lot of ways. Wedge is informed that the Imperial Star Destroyer has left, but it left behind a small shuttle, and it's headed to the city. Wedge asks for a couple of blades to escort it to the city. He's pretty sure it's a friendly. The Imperator's oldest son shows up. It's Ballas Kirasa, whose name is actually Ballas Kiteldan. And Wedge instantly recognizes him from their sin fights. He's one of the many people who he has talked with, fought with, philosophized with, and... Philosophized. Philosophized with. <laughs> and Wedge is like, cool, we like him, right? We like him, right? The parader renounces the throne in a very quick ceremony. Ballas is now, now in charge. However, he also says that he's not going to surrender and they remain at war. He says that if he surrenders, the political situation will become very messy because of what Cartan will owe the other countries and the empire will quickly take advantage. Fair point. So instead, he offers a truce to help form a world government. That way, Adumar can be unified when the empire returns. On the one hand, I'm like, Cartan needs to pay for reparations. On the other hand, they're screwed if that they, happens. They could pay later. Yeah. No one's going to forget. That's true. Tomer then tells Wedge that he was delighted to hear that Wedge and the others had survived the gauntlet. Wedge and Tycho then pull plasters on Tomer. <laughs> Wedge tells him to call the Allegiance, but there's no answer. Wedge tells him to use the code they overheard in the video. Once Tomer gives it, the Allegiance answers. Rogros comes out of the Imperial shuttle. The Star Destroyer he was on can't call the Empire because he made that happen. So the New Republic will have a few days of peace before they return. Wedge says he will get a message to Rogra's children explaining what happens. Rogra says he won't join the New Republic. Instead, he'd like to send Audemars as a military advisor. He's willing to defect from the Empire, but joining the Republic is a little too far for him. And fair too, too rich for his blood. <laughs> Wedge is sad to hear how many of the dead from the battle were pilots that he flew against recently. Tomer goes to jail and is going to trial soon. He has no idea about Hallis' recordings, so he still thinks he can get out of this whole thing. Tomer is one of the more hateable characters of the New Republic that we have seen so far, and I love that he has no idea what's waiting for him. He figures the truth won't or can't come out, so he may just get a little bit of jail time, but nothing he can't handle. But that video is so damning that I just don't see his career ever recovering from this, and it just delights me so much that he has no idea about this. Ayala tells Wedge that she's proud of him. Not for winning, but for being willing to lose. A few days later, the Empire does show up with three Star Destroyers, and Wedge leads the attack from an X-Wing, of course, because pilot can a pilot. The New Republic has re sent reinforcements over the past several days, and the Adamar Blades are also ready to fight. Apparently, Halas has been broadcasting a false narrative of, fi of fights still going on, they know that there are still Imperial spies around, so they are doing their best to confuse them and the Empire. Her videos are talking about a guerrilla war being led by the former Parator. Who is himself in retirement in a villa somewhere, doing nothing. <laughs> Among the Imperial forces are Tide Defenders, and Fenir is in one of them. He and Wedge duel, with Wedge coming out the victor, but Fenir does live. 
The Imperial forces are hammered by the combined Republican Adamari ships and are forced to retreat. Ballas tells Wedge that his father is furious with Tomer for tricking him into trying to kill Wedge. And he also says that his father doesn't really care for Wedge's form of honor, but he does recognize it. Sheriff asks if she can leave with Wedge in the Republic since she fought against Cartan. There's nothing for her here and she'd like to leave sooner rather than later. Wedge agrees. The book ends on a sweet note with Wedge and Ayala dancing together, even though no music is playing. That's nice. Aww. So what'd you think? I liked it. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, it was a nice, quick read. I wasn't, like, over the moon about it. It's not the Thrawn trilogy. No. It doesn't have time to be something like that. But I thought it was an interesting story. It was an interesting way to highlight places where the new republic is still struggle struggling so like the proton torpedo production mm-hmm. and to bring in the empire on a much smaller scale that didn't feel so annoying to me it's a very different <clears throat> take on the empire and it's it's nice seeing an imperial who is willing to leave finally when they get the chance because yeah. a lot of them want to but they can't yeah and rogress finally sees the way he can i like that yeah I liked the Wedge Ayala stuff, obviously. Shocking. I wanted more. That's my Shocking. complaint. Yeah, like I said earlier, while I don't love this book, I do think this is Wedge's best book. And what I mean by I don't love this book is the plot is good, but it's not fantastic. It's not as good as what I think is in the Rogue or the Wraith books. But for Wedge, his personal struggle in it is the best part of this book. Far and away to me. He's been a military man all his life. Can he refuse an order that goes against everything he believes in? And the answer is yes. And watching Wedge think about honor and morals and come to this decision, I think, is really well done and fantastic. It's one of the reasons why he's one of my favorite characters in Star Wars. He won't compromise who he is, and he'll always do what he feels is right. Yeah. So I like that about him. And I, I, I think of all the X-Men books, this is, again, probably the weakest overall, but still a really good book. Yeah, it was fun. And it does, it does a nice job of building off of the previous eight books, and it helps if you have read them relatively recently. It does, I think, improve this book. If you've read this book and it's been years since you've read the rest of the books, you're like, who's who, who now? Who's <laughs> we-? like you probably remember Wedge, but Wes, Tycho, and Hobby, you, you might forget which one is which. Yeah, I feel like for the plot, there was definitely a section of the book where the parader wasn't meeting with them, and mm-hmm. they were just doing. They were kind of spinning their wheels almost flights, which is fine for a little bit. But I feel like if you wanted to make the plot move a little bit more you would cut that sooner and instead have all of them trying to do subterfuge and spy stuff with Ayala earlier. And that might have made the plot feel more full, I guess. I do think that the plot was largely there as the backdrop to Wedge's existential crisis. And that's fine, but I think the plot could have used a little bit of attention for sure. Yeah, like this is a, it's a good, not great book. It's probably one of the better ones we've read recently, I would say. Oh, easily. It was a relief in that way. I just feel like usually I go into an X-Wing book kind of knowing what I'm going to get, and it's sort of reliable. Yeah. You know, the prose is not like so chewy. The characters have motivations that are comprehensible. (laughs) And they're very likable characters for the most part. Yeah. There's usually some, it's usually funny in some way. Especially when Olsen's writing it. Like, I, I very much appreciate how the humor was not just Wes in this book, but Tycho and Hobby joining in it too a lot of the time. Yeah. There's a 
good, you know, X-Wing battle scene. Though those can be a little bit hit or miss for me. I feel like, especially in this one, the, like, the battles at the end of the book took a really long time. The battle against Cartanda, the battle against the Empire was very short. short. Because at that point, I feel like everyone was like, well, we're running out of room here. Wrap it up, wrap it up. (laughs) Wrap it up. So, like, the back, I think the last third of the book felt like it passed really quickly because it was just, like, strategize, fight, strategize, fight. But it didn't necessarily, it felt like all of the, like, emotional beats of the story had kind of wrapped up at that point. Mm -hmm. I also really like the introduction of Cheris. I think she's a really fun character. I like her ideas of, I I like how she comes around to Wedge's ideas of honor. And she says, oh, what, Cartana's we're in the wrong here. And I like that she kind of gets that, that growth and development throughout. I like that for her and the other pilots who agreed to do sim runs. Yeah. Basically, like all of them, like it shows that there's, there's room for change on this planet. Yeah. They don't have to be asking themselves, well, will Adumar poison the New Republic? It's equally possible that the New Republic will influence Adumar. Okay, let's step back. Away from the plot, away from our discussion, our likes and dislikes, and let's ask a few questions about Starfighters of Adumar. Okay. It's not like this really, like... Well, I guess it is part of a series. It's part of the X-Wing series. Indeed. Will we see Quizux again? I'm not opposed to it. I just hope it's in a much different context. Any guesses as to when we might see her again? Like, what book or something? Because she was introduced in... An Anderson book, I would have guessed like she'll next show up in an Anderson book, but mm-hmm. he doesn't write more novels beyond this point. Yeah, at this point, it's short stories and the Junior Joy Night stuff, which I guess she could pop up in there. I guess. I feel like the place for her to show up is when the New Republic needs some serious technological innovation. And just based on what I know about the future, like, inevitably, you think of the Vong. Like, she would be a good ally in helping understand and combat that. Okay. Or something similar, I guess. Some unknown, like... A Cyrook type thing, maybe? Yeah. Will Wedge and Aiella last? Or is this destined to be another Simran for Wedge? No. <laughs> no to the Simran? Yeah. Okay. I think this I think this is it for them. Okay. Like I think they're each other's person. I might be like just totally imagining all of this, I guess. Well, not all of it because it's canon, but I don't know. I feel like they're really compatible. I feel oh. like if they if they put the work in on both sides, they can make it last. Safe to say between Sackpole and Olsen, this is definitely the best ship that either of those authors have written for you. Yeah. Which is funny, because it's not like it's gotten a lot of dedicated page time. But that has sort of allowed me to, like, fill in the blanks on my own. (laughs) Will Adamar have a negative impact on the New Republic the way some of the pilots fear? I'm not super concerned about that. It's one planet. Like, and change is already happening there. Yeah, it's not like it's the Cartan is still in control. Like, if it was them, I'd be more concerned, I feel like. Yeah. But even then, I would still say they're just one planet. If they're a problem for the New Republic, it's because that problem already existed in the New Republic and Adumar is just going to exacerbate it okay. or act as like a a catalyst 
kind of. When do you think Wedge will get to fly an X-Wing in combat again? Not soon enough for his tastes. (laughs) Fair enough. But, I mean, I'm sure eventually. He has such a, like, love of flying. I I feel like they just can't keep him. Out of the cockpit? Out of that cockpit forever. Think he'll die in a cockpit someday? Hmm. I mean... I, I feel like that's probably what he'd prefer. Rather than passing away in old age. Yeah. Though, actually, I don't know. I feel like he went through a kind of existential crisis in this book. So maybe he's changed his views on that. Like, he became hyper aware of the fact that, like, his life was just his career and he wanted more than that. Yeah. I, I think if he got to that point where actually could feel where he could retire, then he'd want to pass away peacefully yeah if he doesn't get to that point that he wants then i think he'd rather die a cockpit than like in any other combat situation yeah yeah i agree with that but i think he's decided that there's more to his life than just the fight just the fight will wedge be able to get the message through to admiral rogris's children this is a really specific question i had a tough time coming with questions for this book okay <laughs> just what like i wasn't expecting to ever hear about this again we might not Honestly. Yeah. I'm just asking, do you think they'll be able to? Mm, I think so. I'd like to think Whether so. Whether or not those children are going to want to listen to said message is another question. Yeah. But, like, can they literally, mechanically, physically get the message through? Probably. And finally, will Cheris make a good fighter pilot for the New Republic? Oh, I certainly think so. Yeah. It would be a bummer if she, like, she went through all that and she got the cure to her like vertigo situation. And then it turns out that she has just like a complete absence of any like baseline talent for flying. I mean, she clearly has good reflexes. We know that about her and that is part yeah. of it. Certainly. Yeah. It's more than just that, but that's a good start. I mean, I'd, I'd like to see her again. I liked her as a character. She was interesting to me. So I hope she is a good fighter pilot and maybe shows up in a future X-Wing book. There's only one more X-Men book and it's not for a while. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Ugh. Bummer. I'm sure that I'll forget all about this. I guarantee you will, given how many years down the line this book is. And then I'll be surprised yet again when there's not another one. <laughs> oh, well. But yeah, I mean, I'd even if it's not in that context, if she just shows up again living a successful life. Like, oh, hey, it's Cherish and Green Squadron or whatever. Like, in a... Yeah. Yeah. That'd be nice. I just want I just want good things for her. She had it rough. And that wraps up Starfighters of Audemars, the ninth book in the X-Wing series. Next up, we'll be reading Taster's Choice, The Tale of Jabba Chef, written by Barbara Handley. You can look forward to that being published on February 19th. Thanks to Thomas for editing. And thanks to Crystal for going with this crazy idea. And thanks to you for listening. You can email us at tk331podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at tk331podcast. Again, just assuming that the website still exists. You can tell a friend about this podcast. You can tell a family member. Tell anybody you think would enjoy it. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast reviewing platform of your choice. And if you, like us, have a surplus of lemons at all times then you can pick the lemons and arrange them in your driveway in such a way that it reads TK331 and just inspire your neighbors to be curious about us. (laughs) And now here it is, your moment of Star Wars. We improvise, Wedge said.
We need a wheeled transport, one of the flat cam units our pursuers are carrying, and four sets of women's clothing. Javi looked crestfallen. Boss, please tell me you're not putting us in women's clothing. Very well, Wedge said. I'm not putting us in women's clothing. Half an hour later, the four of them sat wearing Adomari women's clothing taken from a middle-class family's apartment in a wheeled transport two blocks from the gates into Giltella Air Base. Javi stared with a hurt expression at Wedge, who ignored him.